Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to the uh, traditional service, those of you watching online as well. I'm Jeff Kersey, senior pastor here, and I was just over in the auditorium, and it is packed full of people uh, in, in the capable hands of Trevor Miller, who's bringing the message over there, and we're glad to be in here with you. Also, I looked at the middle school room. It is packed full of middle school students, and so as people are getting back from the summer, it's great to see people here. We kick off a new sermon series today called Image Bearers, and how many of you do this uh, game like Lynn and I do. We were out to dinner somewhere and we're sitting there talking and then we see somebody and we go, doesn't they look like so-and-so, you know? And they were watching TV and some, you know, actor, actress, hey, they look just like so-and-so. And Lynn says, I don't see what you see at all. Um, we get this debate going. But uh, we, all, we all look like somebody, right? And we all kind of try to compare that. Well, I was thinking about how to really kick this series off and, and, and image bearers and a good illustration of this. And I was home alone, Lynn was in Conway this week, and just thinking, well, I need a good opening illustration. And then I started paying attention to my living room or den where I was sitting, and all around our house are all kinds of images, right? This is a coffee table, and that's images of our family, our children, our grandchildren. Then you go to the next one is the pictures up there of all the grandparents and the great-grandparents and extended family. And then you go to this one. This is uh, the one of Lynn, of her mom and dad, and who passed this past year uh, in, in the fall of this last year. And all the kind of memories, just images everywhere, right, in our house. And they, they bear the image of our family, uh, of, of, of our heritage and our history and where we're going. And I am so thankful, as I look at these pictures, that our children and grandchildren have Lynn's DNA. You know, and so I had to go take her picture of her picture, and I'm so glad that they look like her and not me. Now, as, as, as impressive as our family pictures are, and we've all got them, right, of our family, we, uh, we know that God created everything. And he even created this. Look at this image right here. This is actually a long-horned uh, Asian beetle. That's actually a picture, some, some, some rain drops on its head. But isn't it amazing that God made that? And aren't you glad you're not made in that image? You know, it'd really be a scary thing to walk around looking like that. I mean, some of, some of you try to look like that at Halloween, uh, but that's truly amazing. And guess what? God made 400,000 different species of beetles. How do I know that? Because I was just said, what are the kinds of things that are out there than that? And did you know that there are 10 quintillion insects in the world? 10 quintillion insects. That means that there are 1.4 billion insects per person on the planet. Now, if the insects ever decide to take over and realize that they got the majority, we're in trouble, right? But that, isn't it amazing that, that God made all of that, yet he made us unique in his image. If you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word, reading from Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the long-horned beetle. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male 
and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground, even the Asian longhorn beetle. You've been given dominion because you are made in the image of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father God, we thank you that you have made us good. You said that it is good. And I thank you for the image bearers that are in this room today. Image bearers of the king of kings that are watching online. I think you're all over this campus. There are some image, image bearers walking around representing who you are. They're image bearers serving in children's ministry today, bearing the image of Jesus Christ to our children. Lord, bless those who are bearing your image today. And may you help all of us to examine our lives and see if we indeed are presenting you to the world. Give me the words to speak. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, it's good to be made in the image of God. And it means that our bodies are good. God gave them to us. He made us this way. And we've been given authority to have dominion over God's creation and to recreate through procreation. Now, I want to give you a shameless plug. Uh, Chad mentioned it, but he and I are leading a study this coming Wednesday by Dr., a, a book by Dr. Timothy Tennant called For the Body. It's, a, it's an incredible, timely book, Recovering a Theology of Gender, Sexuality, and the Human Body. And one of Dr. Tennant's premises is, is that the body is good, and God said it's good. And we need to truly learn to appreciate who God made us to be. Now, I also want to read to you, I'm going to have a lot of scripture for you today because if I'm going to talk about the image of God and how we're to bear the image of God, you don't need my opinion. I need to read you God's word and tell you exactly what God has said. I'm going to begin by reading again, a second reading from the New Testament from Romans 1. Now, if you've got your Bible, please follow along. If you don't have your Bible, you can you know, pull up your Bible app on your phone and our screens are not real bright right now. We've got some back-ordered bulbs. They sound familiar, right? Back-ordered bulbs. Um, so I don't think you can see it very well. So I would encourage you to use a device, use the Bible in your pew. But I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1. Uh, spend a little time there with us today and some other verses as well. It begins this way. I, Paul, am a devoted slave of Jesus Christ on assignment. Friends, don't miss that. If you're living today as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're on assignment. You are to bear the image of God to a world that needs to know who God is. Authorized as an apostle to proclaim God's words and acts, I write this letter to all the believers in Rome, God's friends. The sacred writings contain preliminary reports. This is the Old Testament he's referring to by the prophets on God's son. His descents from David's roots, him in history. His unique identity as son of God was shown by the spirit when Jesus was raised from the dead, setting him apart as our Messiah, our master. Through him, we receive both the generous gift of his life and the urgent task urgent task, more than ever today, 
urgent task of passing it on to others who receive it by entering into obedient trust in Jesus. You are who you are through this gift and call of Jesus Christ. Church, you are who you are through this gift and call of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been marked by the image of God. You are who you are through the gift and call of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul writes this letter to encourage the church at Rome. Paul did not plant the church at Rome. By this time, had not yet been to Rome, but he wanted to make sure they had the essentials of the faith. He wanted to make sure they knew who they were. And the whole point of this series that we're going to be going through is we want to make sure that you and we know who we are. Paul wanted them to know so they could bear the image of God throughout the Roman Empire. In a pre-Christian world where the pictures, not the pictures, but the statues of Caesar, the Roman emperors were everywhere. The, the statues of the icons of the Greek gods were everywhere in Rome. And Paul says it's important to you to know who you are because you are going to bear the image of God. You're going to represent God to the Roman Empire. And did they do it well? Absolutely. And by 300 years later, Christianity had become the religion of the Roman Empire. Now, you may get a bit anxious about living in the culture we live in today. There's no question we're living in a post-Christian environment where God is being pushed out of the square. But my friends, if the church, if you and I will do our part and bear the image of God, we can turn the world upside down because God has the power to change lives. But if we go into hiding as Christians, because we're afraid we're going to be canceled, we're going to be blocked, then God's image will not be revealed. It's an awesome responsibility. It's an urgent matter. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are who you are because of him. How many of you listening today can give a testimony that you're better now than you were before you met Jesus Christ? You're a better representation of a human being because of the difference that God has made in your life. Somebody say amen to that. Amen to that, right? You know, I'm not finished yet. God is not done with me yet, but I'm a heck of a lot better. Maybe not this physical appearance, but inwardly I'm a lot better than I was last month or last year or 10 years ago or certainly when I was a teenager. God has the power to transform us into his image to represent Jesus Christ to the world. How many of you wouldn't even be here on the planet if it wasn't for Jesus Christ? You'd have been gone, taken out by the evil one. So an image bearer is the visual representation of something or someone. It's a representation of something or someone. There's a famous phrase, Imago Dei, which means the image of God. And that you and I need to understand the image of God. It's a big subject, right? The image of God. Let me narrow it down to you. I'm using some, again, some of the wonderful stuff from Dr. Timothy Tennant. That God has been revealed 
that God has been made known first by general revelation. What do I mean by general revelation? Well, first of all, by creation. The outward representation of God through the created order. You know, I love to be outside. I love to be out in nature. I love to see the, the, the handiwork of Almighty God. You can see his fingerprints, his DNA everywhere. Even in the Asian longhorned beetle, right? But also the general revelation of God has come through conscience, through the presence of human conscience. That even as corrupt as our world is, as crazy as our culture is, we may disagree on what is right and wrong, but the very presence of right and wrong reveals we live in a moral order. When someone murders or steals, we all have a sense of wrongness. When someone does something sacrificial or generous, we all have a sense of rightness. It's, it's God's DNA within us. The general revelation of the image of God. Romans 1 says it this way. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see, eternal power. For instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody, hear this, nobody has a good excuse. Well, I don't know who God is. Well, I don't know what God looks like. I don't know where God is. Paul is saying nobody has an excuse. That won't hold up. When you stand before Almighty God, you can't say, well, God, I didn't see you. I didn't know you. I didn't, nobody told me. Paul's arguing, and I agree with him, that God has been revealed in his creation. God's presence is everywhere. We're in a battle to make sure that's clear. But there's general revelation. There's also what we call special revelation, which God has been revealed through Scripture. You want to know what God's like? Read the scriptures. Read about God's actions, God's deeds, God's deliverance, God's mercy, God's justice is revealed in God's holy word. But secondly, the special revelation of God has come through the person of Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. I love these words from John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God. The only son who is the same as God and is at the father's side, he has made him known. John chapter one, again, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning at creation was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God in the incarnation has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. One of Islam's greatest theologians, Al-Ghazala, famously declares that Allah does not reveal himself. He only reveals his will. But in Christianity, we discover that God not only reveals his will, but he seeks to reveal himself so that we can have a personal relation with relationship with him and go bear his image to the world. God wants to be known and he wants us to make him known. 
But because of our self-righteous ignorance, self-righteous ignorance, God's image is being distorted. God's image has been hidden in some ways. And I, and I love again from Romans, I want to read on into chapter 1, verses 23, and I'm reading from the message version. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. Does that sound familiar today? written almost 2,000 years ago, but because in a world we live in, refusing to worship him, they've trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion and no sense of direction in their lives. They pretend to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. Remember that when you were a child, some of you may remember this when you were a child and you were taught the, the, the course, he's got the whole world in his hands. You know, we grew up believing that. But we live in a world today that believe we've got the world in our hand. We've got control. We're in charge. And we can make the rules. And we can define what truth is and what truth isn't. It produces confusion and chaos. Verse 24, so God said in, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. How many of you said that to your children before? If that's what you want, okay, that's what you get. Go to your room. <laughs> It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out, and all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshiped the God they made instead of the God who made them. Worshiped the creation instead of the creator, the God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes. Now, Paul writes these words 2,000 years ago. Worse followed, refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women, and men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another, women with women, and men with men, all lust, no love, and then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it. Emptied of God and love, godless and loveless wretches. That's a strong word in today's culture. When we trade the God of this world for the God who made this world, we get confused and chaos ensues. ensues. Now, embedded within this text is a distinctive Wesleyan doctrine that we hold dear. And that is the doctrine of free will. If that's what you want, that's what you'll get. Our God is a God of free will. He will not make you worship him. He will not make you love him. He will not make you serve him. It's a choice that he gives all of us. A lot of us are playing a game of chance with God. I would advise you not to do that. 
one day I will stand or a pastor will stand and, and, and remember your life. And if you lived your life as a game of chance, may the Lord be with you. But when you live your life as, by following a choice of choosing to honor God, to glorify God, to live for God, then there's a great deal of certainty that will follow you into eternity. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all of us, my friends, and we've all come short of the glory of God. We've all got work to do. None of us have arrived yet. All of us have a tarnished image, a broken image. And I want you to know this, church, as I read God's word to you this morning about being image bearers, know that you are in a battle. You're in a spiritual battle for your soul. Your children are in a spiritual battle for their soul. You know, I looked at the pictures that you all posted on social media, many of you, celebrating your children's passage into the first grade or kindergarten or fifth grade or middle school or high school. And some of you posted pictures of kids dropped off at college yesterday or a couple days ago. So I looked at those pictures. I looked at my granddaughter, Harper Grace, who had pictures of going into the fifth grade. And as a grandparent, there was a bit of pride about that. Wow, she's, she's growing up. She's going to be a fifth grader. But also there was a sense of sadness in my heart because I, I know that her innocence is getting ready to be destroyed by a confused and crazy world that somebody's going to show her pictures on a phone that's going to blow her mind. And that innocence will be tarnished and broken. And my prayer for her and my prayer for your kids is that they will have a solid foundation of biblical truth so that whenever those that image of who God made them to be is challenged that they can rest in, in, in confidence of who God made them to be. I met with a young man on his way to Clemson uh, earlier this week, and we talked about that. I said, you're going to be confronted with all kinds of truth, quote, truth, that will challenge the very foundation of your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't believe every word you hear. Filter the words you hear through God's holy word and be the young man that God made you to be. Not who the world wants you to be. Not who the culture wants you to be, but who God wants you to be. And it's a good thing. It's not something to feel bad about. But my friends, we live in this spiritual warfare. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Hear this. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. We are in a spiritual warfare of good and evil. Don't be blind to that. It's tough right now, and it's always been tough, but it's tough right now to stand up for the image of God, the undefiled image of God, and love people, reach people with the good news that God loves them, and, and God made them in a good way. Sin has disrupted, sin has distorted the image of God, but it has not destroyed the image of God. There's a wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist. He's, he wrote this, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer 
of a holiday at the sea. We are too far too easily pleased. We are far too easily tricked. We are far too easily pursued and consumed by a culture that is not godly and Christian. So the, the image of God has been distorted and disrupted. But that brings us to the mission of God, Missio Dei. Imago Dei is the image of God. Missio Dei is the mission of God. Now, the Old Testament prophets were clear that there was going to come a king who would be a descendant of David. He would fulfill God's promises. He would establish God's rule and God's reign, introduce a new age, deal with the effects of evil. But when Jesus hung on a cross, crucified, he didn't look much like a king. But on resurrection, when he defeated death, he became the king of kings. He became the Lord of lords. And the Bible tells me that on one day that every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Luke 19, 10 says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Romans 5 says, when we were utterly helpless with no way of escape, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners who had no use for him. Even if, if, it were, even if we were good, we, we really wouldn't expect anyone to die for us. Though, of course, that might be barely possible. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That is the mission of God. The mission of God is, yes, to reveal God, the image of God, but also to reconcile us to God, to redeem us from shame, to redeem us from sin, and to restore our identity as image bearers of our creator. As image bearers, we are to become ambassadors for the King of Kings. I love this little testament I received, Lynn and I received each time we go to the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington. It's a gathering of about 4,000 believers from around the world, 90 countries represented, from Muslims to, to, to Jewish folks to you name it, different religions in the room. And they always give out this little testament. And what's unique about this testament is it's the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, without any verses, just in paragraph written form. And then you come to the last book, so you got the four gospels and then you got the acts of the ambassadors, the book of acts, the acts of the ambassadors. My friends, you and I, if you're listening today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're to go and bear the image of almighty God. You're to represent the King of Kings, expand his interest, expand his kingdom and tell others of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. One of my cherished memories as a pastor here at Mount Horeb was I believe it was probably five or six years ago or seven years ago that right here at this altar, right in this spot right here, our governor, Nikki Haley, and her family, Michael, and her two children came and knelt here and we prayed over her and commissioned her to be the ambassador to the UN. And we prayed over her and we, and we prayed that God would use her to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. 
that she would go into the world and make a difference. And I believe she served well as an ambassador here representing the United States. If you don't think so, ask the people of Israel. The people of Israel loved Nikki Haley because she defended and fought for the nation of Israel against terrorism and etc. My friends, you and I are called to go and be ambassadors of the king. Romans 1, 7, again, I read it a minute ago. You are who you are through this gift and call of Jesus Christ. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And in these words from 1 John 2, 6, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's what it means to be an image bearer, to live your life as Jesus lived his life. I read this passage, next passage, to our men on Friday morning for our prayer breakfast in regards to being image bearers. From 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a house of God where the Holy Spirit lives? God gave you his Holy Spirit. Now, church, you belong to God. You do not belong to yourselves. God bought you with a great price. So honor God with your body you belong to him. Whenever God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God walked in the garden. God was visible. God was present. There was conversation between his people, the humanity that he cre created in the garden. And then sin entered as a picture. And God's people rebel and they start to worship other gods, handmade gods. And then they're carried into captivity. And then God, by his mercy, at a place called Horeb, Mount Horeb, he, he speaks to Moses and Moses goes and sets his people free. And then as God's people are freed, they start to worship God in a tent. And God's presence was in a tent. And then they arrive in the promised land and they build a temple and God's presence is in a temple. And they worship God there in the temple. And if you know the story of crucifixion, when Jesus was crucified, on the cross, the veil in the temple was rent in two, meaning that God now dwells inside of us. That Jesus Christ was a walking temple of God. The Holy Spirit was evident in his life, and you and I are called to be mobile temples. You're not to stay here. God doesn't want to stay here. You take him with you wherever you go to bear his image to the world. Now, I challenge the men on Friday, and let me challenge you as well. Our bodies are temples for God, not amusement parks. And too oftentimes, we see our bodies as an amusement park, that I can do with it whatever I want to do. It's mine. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've given him your life. It's not yours. It's God's. And you bear him within you. And that means that I've got to say no to some things. I got to say yes to some things. I got to seek to do God's will in all things. We don't live to please ourselves. And I believe that one of the reasons that people are being turned away from faith and turned away from the church is because Christians are living their lives as amusement parks. And people that are outside of faith see no difference in our lives, the way we live, the way we talk, the way we act, and they go, well, what is it about? I don't see anything different about you. All of us have got work to do. Amen. But we need to recognize that people are watching us. 
And if they're not seeing the presence of God in our lives, they're not drawn to God. Jesus said in John, again, if you lift me up, I will draw all people to myself. How did the Christians change the world so quickly? In the Roman Empire, that was totally pagan. In 300 years, became, Christianity became the, the religion of the Roman Empire. How? By bearing the image of God. By acting and living and talking and like Jesus. And yet today, we're afraid we'll get canceled or cut off if we live and speak the words of Jesus Christ because it's not popular. Well, we wonder why the, the world is in trouble because we are not bearing the image of God and we look like everybody else. There's nothing distinctive that sets you apart as a Christian. Let me just say that God has made us for pleasure. God has wired us for pleasure. But he, but he wants us to have pleasure that honors him and that we should not use our bodies to harm ourselves or harm others, but to glorify him. Now, the mission of God isn't lip service. It's not just saying it. You've got to live it. You've got to walk the talk. And it's everywhere. It's at home. It's at school. It's on the street corners. It's at the marketplace. It's local. It's global. It's in your email. It's in your text. It is in your social media. Everywhere you go and everything you do. Can people tell from the images on your social media account that you're, you're a child of God? Or are you busy on social media lifting yourself up? As a Christian, we should not be ashamed to be strongly present as a believer on social media. Image bearers for the one true king. Now, in closing, let me just say this, that we are called to be righteous influencers. Not self-righteous, but righteous. Alistair Begg says that leadership is about influence. And everyone influences someone. The sociologists tell us that even the most introverted individual, and there's some of you in the room today. My wife was here earlier. She's 100% introverted. I'm 100% extroverted. It's just how we're wired. But even the most introverted individual will influence 10,000 other people during his or her lifetime. An influence on 10,000 people. We influence each other in all sorts of ways. And all of us in this room are listening have been influenced by many people, teachers, coaches, pastors, friends, family members. And just as we've been influenced, we are influencing others for either good or bad. I love this African proverb. If you think you're too small to make a difference, you haven't spent the night with a mosquito. The mosquito makes a difference in an annoying way, but the principle is the same. One person can stop a great injustice. One person can be a voice of truth. One person can change the world. One person named Jesus changed the world. But image bearers, you shouldn't be annoying, but you should be humble. You should be grateful. And, and, and the temptation to avoid is making a stage for yourself, making a platform for yourself. You are to bear the image of Almighty God. I love this statement on Twitter. I didn't get the name of the person who said it, but I believe it. Believing in Jesus will get people to heaven. Living like Jesus will bring heaven to people. You want to bring the image of God to people? Then live like Jesus. As image bearers, we are partners in God's mission 
in God's image. I want to speak for a moment to someone in the room or listening online who feels unworthy, who feels unwanted, who feels unable, who feels unqualified. God wants to remove your shame. He wants to redeem you and he wants to restore his image in you. God has the power to transform any person and restore his image in you. Let me pray for you. Father God, for that person listening today who feels unable, unworthy, unwanted, I pray that you would redeem them, that you would restore them to your image, who you made them to be. And they will begin to understand and live into what you made them to do. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And those of you who feel pretty good about yourself, will you commit to being an image bearer of the one true king? Will you go be a mobile temple? Will you serve as his ambassador in the world? Will you go do what God put us on the earth to do? Bottom line, will you do what God put you on the earth to do? Bottom line. Let me pray for you. Father God, we know that we're here on the planet at this moment in history for a reason, to do what you made us to do. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to be your ambassador. We'd have the courage to lift up your image. We'd have the courage to represent you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.